0: Hello and welcome to the Norwich City Tactics Podcast. I'm Sam, and I'm joined by Nick and James as we discuss Norwich's three-one defeat up in Sunderland. David Wagner made four changes to the side that lost to Middlesbrough, with Kellen Fisher, Christian Fastnacht, Adam Forshaw, and Hwang all returning to the starting lineup. Nick, what did you make of these changes initially?
1: I, I thought the Fisher for Stacey one was probably due to Stacey's last game. His, his end product was way off the boil, and whether there's something going on there mentally or whether there's fitness issues, I'm not sure. Uh, Fashion act had to be brought in at, back in at some point, so I understand that Huang Faida was. I'm not sure whether he saw something what Huang could do because of the way we were playing, and maybe there would be some more obscure chances versus kind of detailed attacking build up, um, and maybe they thought he would just come up with one. Uh, and then for sure, I mean, the, the fans have been crying out for that to stiffen up the midfield and I, I didn't quite go to plan. But I, so, yeah, I'd say not terrible from a, a lineup position. I don't know what your thoughts are, James.
2: Um, just on the for sure one, a lot of people, including me, were calling for him to start in a deeper role to get um, Saris by higher up. But then I'm sure we'll discuss this more later. But in reality, the way it played out was he ended up with a Sort of five across midfield, and at times for sure was playing as like the most advanced midfielder in possession, which I thought was pretty weird because he looks like someone who excels more in like the first phase of possession, and uh, maybe Sarah could do with being the one playing higher up. I didn't mind the selection when I saw it on paper, but then the way it played out I thought was like not ideal, and yeah, I think he, uh, as we'll also come on to, I think he did show some weaknesses out of possession as well. I like Fisher coming in, um, I like to see managers. Giving chances to young players, and I think he has great technical ability. And uh, in his uh, league cup appearances, I thought he showed that he can he can play against like higher level opponents. I think in the in the Fulham game, he was up against Willian for most of the game, and uh, came out of that test doing like fairly well. Like he wasn't absolutely outstanding but I thought he showed that he could do it at this level so I wasn't surprised he was chucked in but then as we saw against Clark it's quite a difficult player to face on your
0: league day yeah I think he did pretty well overall maybe we'll get into that a little bit later but the thing I like about Fisher over Stacey is that he's really good in tight spaces so sometimes it's like how quick he can play a pass or if there's someone pressuring him he's probably a little bit better in those situations than Stacey and we know that Stacey's got the stamina and the running ability, he's obviously really good on the overlap. But I do think Fisher looks a little bit technically better at this level. And Nick, as you said, um, Stacey's crossing probably in the past two to three games has definitely been below par. So I think it was more than justified that Fisher came in. And we know uh, Wagner's a fan of Fisher, considering um, when he was brought in from Bromley initially in the summer, he was there as an academy prospect. But after Wagner looked at him in training, he immediately promoted him to the first-team squad. The big surprise for me was Act. I think he's probably been Norwich's worst player over September and October. In August, he looks like a pretty good, pretty solid mid-table championship player. His performances, mostly from the bench in that period, have been pretty shocking in every area, whether that's off the ball, whether that's on the ball. So, he was pretty fortunate to start and I really don't think there was much justification in that. But We'll move into the, um, the first 30 minutes now. And Nick, you kind of looked over it. Well,
1: I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a flat four. Obviously, Fisher and Janoulis' job were to keep Clark and Roberts at close quarters. So the, the back four pretty much stayed intact. The midfield five was an experiment. I would say it's an experiment that failed, probably because it just kept changing uh, there was moments where it was Rowe, then Sarah, then Forshaw, then McLean, then Fastnack, and then there was a switch over at one point between Sarah going middle, and then at one point Kenny came middle. So it it was very confusing, and I think that's if we look at kind of Wagner's. I mean, his tenure could be coming to an end pretty soon. But if you look at his tenure, I mean, confusion to me is the big word that stands out, and this midfield five looked so confused, not in terms of. What their abilities are and what they're capable of. I think they're all pretty experienced and have a good understanding of themselves. I think it's just, more well, who's doing what role and when are they going to do it? There was moments where Ekwa got on the ball and it was like, well, who's going to press him? And it was the deepest line player that had to then come forward because Sarah and McLean ended up getting, or or for sure, ended up getting closer to their fullbacks to try and help double up in those situations. And then There was a big gap opened up between the lines and Duffy and Gibson started to get confused. Do they drop? Do they stay? And then with with Gibson and Duffy, you've then got the situation that they're not the most mobile. And when you do have, if Clark or Roberts could get into the half spaces, they looked very frightened. And so dropping off, dropping off, dropping off. Eventually, you know, we ended up seeing Duffy dropping off and then dealing with Hume's shot, Not, not in a great way. That was the midfield five um, at one point there was the situation where Forshaw and Sarah were playing up behind Huang and then Roe and Fashnacht were dropping back in and kind of again trying to support the fullbacks. and uh, that felt a little bit strange dropping Johnny Rowe so far back. And Fashnacht, I think I think it's fair to say Fashnacht's form's not been great. Coming in pre-season, he definitely looked like a I would say a complete player. It showed us all kinds of abilities. It's not really been the case. So far, uh, since kind of we've, we've hit this dip, he's not been the player that's going to grab the game by the scruff of the neck and bring us back into it. Um, but maybe putting him there alongside Keelan Fisher was a, a way of just protecting versus maybe a Hernandez or a Plachetta who could have played wide in a five. Maybe he didn't trust them as much as what he did, so I understand why he did it. The... Yeah, I just
0: sorry, I just wanted to come no, in yeah. on on that, and I actually felt Roe in particular was pretty good at protecting uh, you know, this because Younulis's big weakness is through um, through defending one on one. Because I do think he, and I think this happened later in the game, he was exposed quite a lot, and there were a couple of times where it was Roberts on that side was able to take it past him. I noticed quite a lot in this opening 30 minutes. It seemed like Rowe was doing a pretty good job there. But the problem with that is then whenever Norris tried to counter, there was no one further up in those wide spaces. So it did feel a little bit conservative, a little bit negative from Wagner. Again, I can understand why he did it, because that's where Sunderland's strengths are. It's in those those wide areas. Um I think I've got a stat. Clark on the left-hand side is first and Roberts is second in terms of the highest amount of successful take ons in the championship, which kind of shows their proficiency in dribbling. So yeah, I think Wagner at this point was really trying to protect those those areas, which is why you had Fashion Act and, and Rowe dropping in. But yeah, ultimately that meant that I just don't think Norwich counted that well in the in that first third. I don't know whether I'm um, I w- I was a bit mistaken, but I don't know if you had anything on that, James.
2: Yeah, I was um I was trying to see sort of a way in which we planned to actually go and create chances and uh, score ourselves. And I I was really struggling with that because it looked like we just set up to try and not concede and then see how far we could take the game and maybe try and nick something. I mean, we did nick something on the counter with that uh, goal, which I'm sure we'll come onto in a minute. But yeah, there there really wasn't much of a plan in possession. I saw countless goal kicks, which we brought the centre-backs in and... Instead of trying to do our usual short build-up play, it was sent long. Often we were sending it long towards like Rowe as an aerial target, which I thought was quite weird. And Huang as well was having to do quite a lot of work up front, which um, to be fair to him in the first half, he did put himself around quite a lot and won a few balls high up the pitch and generally did a better job being an outlet than I thought he would because personally, I'd have liked to have seen Ida playing this system because he's more of a player who can hold onto the ball high up the pitch and bring players into the game. So yeah. I couldn't see much strategy behind how we plan to attack Sunderland. It just seemed like we were sitting in and trying not to concede.
1: Yeah, I think that was what I think that was the plan. It was try and keep it quiet, see if we can catch something, and then we're already in a, a, a deep four-five-one shape, frustrate them more, and then hopefully we can get Ro and Huang out on the counter. And that's what when when George Long was playing those balls, Huang was coming short, trying to bring their lineup. And then Rowe was running in behind. And then there's one moment where it kind of went opposite, which is what you just mentioned there, where it kind of Rowe comes a little bit short for the longer ball, and then Huang runs in behind. So, it, yeah, I mean, it's pretty rudimentary, basic stuff. And I think that's probably where Wagner is right now. Is we need to get the basics right. Um, but then the the, co- the complexities of the midfield five and the, the movement between them, um, I think, th- threw it off. I think that's that's where we we struggled most. Certainly off the ball on the ball a little bit better. What I would say with some of the on the ball stuff, I think that some of the fluidity of our build-up, I I really struggle with teams that want to play really quick, fluid build-up in terms of moving the ball at at tempo and speed because that's what invites press. Uh, And if you see teams that are really, really good at retaining the ball, Pep Guardiola's team, certainly Manchester City, what John Stones will do is he'll just sit on the ball, he'll freeze the press, and then they'll go again. And I think with Norwich, we're constantly trying to move the ball quicker and quicker. And it's kind of, you're kind of watching it going, come on, come on, get the ball out, there, get the ball out, there, get the, versus actually composing yourself and playing through, finding an open player, freezing the press, finding the different angles. Something that Farker was actually brilliant at was h- how to maintain that. And he had players, um, certainly Mo Leitner was one that could just sit on the ball, wait, be patient, find a five yard pass. The press has to freeze. And then we can kind of go again from a different. And I think we've really struggled with that on the ball. That one of the instances where Ben Gibson played the ball into Unulis, where Unulis was a little bit higher, a twenty-yard pass. We got it just ignites the press from the opposition, puts us under pressure. We're already struggling in terms of trying to string some results together or try and get something out of games. When you're playing into a press, just makes makes everyone a little bit more uh, on edge and. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's something that I think would need to improve if we were going to start to get results is a difference to our build-up play. The five in midfield, I'm okay with that if they can figure out who's doing what job. Uh, there's definitely a big Ollie Skip stroke, Alex Tetty size hole in there that no one's been able to get even close to. And okay, so we don't have the personnel. Um, for some reason, we haven't gone and recruited or developed a player who can do that job or Wagner doesn't want one, uh, in which case... Show us why you shouldn't have one. I think would be my question to him.
2: I do agree with you that uh, us playing short does invite the press, but I do, I, I do also think that our better moments in possession have come where we've been brave. But like you think back to the first half against Leeds, we we were brave in sort of drawing them onto us and playing into McLean, Sarah pivot, and then playing out to the fullbacks and then sort of creating those transition opportunities by stretching them that way. Ideally, we still be brave and still try and play against these teams. If the confidence of the players is shot, then I feel like Wagner will be sort of more thinking about the potential mistakes than the upside, which would be us creating good quality chances from those build-up moments.
1: I think he's caught in between right now of, if he goes route one long ball, then he's out of a job. Right, It's going to be like, well, you're trying to eke out a result for what? Just keep doing that all season long, it's not going to happen. So he knows he has to play but he knows that there's some difficulties in our build-up. You're right, against Leeds, uh, that we, we invited their press really well. It's just really difficult to play that way for a whole game without creating a mistake or an error being generated or uh, getting, getting caught out. So the way I would like to see it adapted, I mean, it would be great if Forshaw could just sit in the number six and just shield our back two and just get on the ball and play. But then Kenny wants to do that. And Gabriel Sara wants to do a bit of that as well, because that's part of his game. They can all do it. All of them have the ability and build up to get on the ball and play. So they kind of share it, which is fine if you're trying to draw players out of position, which is one of the ideas behind it, right? You're looking to, can I draw some of their midfielders out, create more spaces in the half spaces between the lines. Then Johnny Rowe can get on the ball. Then we can generate the attack once once we've moved those players and created that space. But at the same time, if you do make an error while you're doing that, and the two centre-backs are wide on the edge of the corners of the 18-yard box, and the ball is just fizzing around in the back, and the, you can see the press coming from Sunderland. It's like, oh, no. If, if they could just do it, and then instead of going long next time, just try and freeze a press, and then play out to a fullback, and then maybe knock it in behind. I think if they could just kind of mix it up a little bit, you might create a chance out of it, but it would also give a little bit of a anxiety break, not just to the fans. But certainly to Ben Gibson and Shane Duffy, who are dealing with it and they're good players, but um, they're also making mistakes. So clearly the the style of play, and rather than just sticking to defending, which is, you know, they're centre-backs, that's what they're supposed to be best at. Kind of asking them to do quite a lot for us in terms of the tempo and the speed of the build-up that we're trying to play.
0: Well, actually... um... The build-up, even though um, it wasn't particularly fluid, uh, did lead to Norwich going 1-0 up in the 23rd minute. Uh, Nick, do you want to just talk through that move and uh, what you think they did well there?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Gabriel Sara played a magician's card and uh, put a cape over himself and hit himself. And (laughs) it was... I mean, for me, it's offside. So I'd be mad if I was a Sunderland fan in that situation because clearly as I think it's Huggins who's coming across. He's looking at the lines when he's looking at Sarah and he, he, it's disrupted his stride and he can't just run through Sarah in order to get the ball. So it's like, well, what, what can he do in that situation? But brilliant initiative by Fisher to be able to latch onto it, get that touch with his left foot, which is a technically a brilliant touch to get in there and then play the ball down the line. Straight away, he's scanning. As soon as he's had that touch, perfect touch, he, he sees Wang, and then, um, yeah, I, I mean... The finish by Huang was, I think, the reason why Wagner wants him in the team because he can score goals that are atypical goals. And right in a game like Sunderland, where we are going to bank up and go four-five-one, it's, it's going to—you were not going to be overlapping, certainly not overlapping our fullbacks and kind of creating chances in the box. It was going to be something like that, and uh, I, that's why I think Huang played. But yeah, brilliant from Fisher. A uh, brilliant magician's card by Gabriel Sara um, and for me offside, but you know, we'll, obviously we'll take it.
0: Yeah, it was a bit of a freak incident um, and I definitely know what you mean. I think Sara does put off uh, Huggins coming in, but yeah, maybe by the letter of the law, it's not offside. But yeah, definitely a strange incident. But yeah, I really wanted to say that Fisher's intelligence in that situation is so good. A young fullback like that might want to take another touch or he might just want to play a risky ball across the box, which is just maybe going for an area, not for the man. But as you say, the way that he scanned and picked out Hawang is really good. And, and yeah, Hawang's shot first time is, is, is also pretty excellent. We've talked in recent pods about how Eden maybe is lacking that killer instinct in the 18-yard box. So for Hawang to take that first time, it means that Patterson can't really get set. And um, it's just a really nice striking of the ball. Yeah, really clean and um, a really good finish. Cool. So, Nick, is there anything else from that first thirty minutes that you just want to you want to flag, or was there anything tactically or in terms of performances that you um, you wanted to discuss?
1: Uh, th- no, that's it for me. I'm looking forward to James's uh, next thirty minutes.
0: So, um, yeah, moving into
2: the next thirty minutes, uh, we've probably just come off our best spell in the game. So. I think the sort of five five, ten minutes after the goal was where we had our most sustained spells in their half. And uh but then uh it sort of towards the end of the half sort of regressed back to how we started with us sort of sitting in that four, five, one block and just trying to prevent them from scoring. Which I guess is fair because if the plan was to sit in, then we've got the lead. Now they're gonna to want to defend it and they're gonna to want to get into half time for a start where with the lead intact. But there were issues with our defensive block, I think, which prevented that from happening for a start I wasn't happy with the midfield line I thought they had a sort of flat line of five uh, in front of the flat line of four but Sunderland found it far too easy to sort of access the space between the lines you had the midfield three all sort of on the same level but Sunderland still found it easy to play through the gaps into Bellingham and Neil who were both they were the Sunderland's two eights and they would like to advance into that space between midfield defense and uh, they caused a lot of problems through that and uh yeah Kept causing problems through the wide areas as well. Uh, there was the first real um, moment of danger in this period of the game. Was on the southern right, where three of our players, you knew this Rowe, and Forshaw, end up all going towards the ball and leaving uh, Neil in space in fields. And the ball goes into him, and he has time to get out of his feet and cross. And that's uh, then headed behind for a corner. And then. Uh, Another chance comes from the corner, which is taken short. That's a problem we've talked about quite a lot, how we are slow to pick up uh, short corners and has led to at least one goal in the Leeds game. And yeah, we're again slow to pick up the short corner. Roberts ends up bursting into the 60-yard box from the left and uh, smashes it across goal. And it's cleared, uh, fortunately. The shot comes in from the second phase, which again is fortunately saved.
0: I'm convinced teams now target us from short corners. I think I've seen enough of us this season. Where we just look so weak and, as you say, hesitant to reach the the second man or the person who's coming short for the corner, and then picking up a pass on the edge of the box. I know it's kind of can be quite difficult because maybe as like a, a side of defending a set piece, you just want to keep as many players in the 18 yard box as possible, especially with Duffy and Gibson, who are fairly good um, penalty box defenders. But it just feels like every single week we're seeing. Norwich um, can see chances two short corners um, and there just doesn't seem to be any way to combat that.
2: Yeah, at times I've noticed that our sort of default setup before the opposition brings people in short is to sort of have everyone within the width for the 60 yard box and also like no further out than like 14 yards or so. And I feel like we give up quite a lot of dangerous areas through that. Like the edge of the area for example for the Somerville goal from Leeds and that sort of area for the short corner, uh, which Robert's used here to uh, go, drive to the 60-yard box and cross. Yeah, our setup is just, it's a bit too negative, maybe, is the right word. We're too concerned about defending the goal mouth itself and like the 60-yard box that we don't actually sniff out its danger and aren't very aggressive in getting out to close it down. And yeah, teams are noticing because Sunland, I think I counted, took about four or five short corners in this period from 30 minutes to 60 minutes that I was covering. I don't think they actually put a cross into the box. It was obviously a target from them.
1: It's kind of refreshing as well to see a team. I know I'm not blaming Andy Hughes, but we we, we also took the same kickoff routine that we've done before, which is a rather complex kickoff routine. Um, I don't know if, if you want to go back and watch it, but it's a number of passes to try and open up space for Johnny Rowe to get in and then just go immediately into attack. And then corner kicks is kind of the same. We're kind of We've seen some tricks... Now we're just kind of becoming quite predictable. Um, And I think the reason that teams are going short against us, one, Shane Duffy's massive. And two, Johnny Rowe is so good on the counter-attack in terms of ball-carrying that that could lead to potential yellow cards for opposition, uh, chances given away, etc. So I think teams are quite happy to just keep possession against us and try and drag our centre-backs in and out, in and
0: out, eventually enough space is going to open up.
1: So, yeah, I've seen it too. Short corners uh, are something we, we have not dealt with well.
0: So, moving on to um, Sunderland's equaliser, which was in the 37th minute. I don't know if you want to break that down, James, or if there's anything you saw in that that Norwich could have done a little bit better in terms of defending.
2: Yeah, so it's, the move really starts with Clark picking the ball up on the left. And he drives in field and causes absolute chaos because good dribblers will will drag teams' defensive shapes around and draw players into them. And it sort of creates this sort of chaotic situation where Forshaw wins the ball back. And he actually has the chance to spring a counter to Rowe, who's sprinting down the left. But instead, he hesitates and turns back when really he should have played the pass and gets robbed by about three Sunderland players who've closed in on them to counter-press. They then work the ball out to Hume, who picks it up to the right just outside the area. And he takes... A shot which it doesn't look particularly well struck or it's like definitely going in. It ends up deflecting in off Duffy's sort of like lower thigh or knee maybe. But yeah, I'm not sure if the original shot would have beaten Long. But Long he ends up standing there because um he sees the deflection and just sort of gives up on it. I wasn't very impressed with Duffy's block attempt because he sort of fair way from the ball and just sort of lunges at it with his knee. It doesn't really give him much control in the block, so he ends up just deflecting it into his own goal. I thought maybe if his uh, positioning was better and uh, he knew where the goal was, he could have got himself in line. There wasn't a huge amount of pace on the shot. I don't think it's a case where he didn't have much chance to see it coming.
0: My issue is with what Duffy does before the shot. So if you see, he's really, really deep. Um, I think he's expecting a cross in from Roberts. Who picks up the ball and um, I think got the assist in the end because he passes it back to Hume. But I have no idea why Duffy's in the six-yard box. I think he's trying to overcompensate for Rusin, the uh, son of the number nine, trying to make a run. But um, there's no way he should be that deep. And the, the only issue is, and the, the reason that I have sympathy for him with the block is that Rusin gets in the way, so Duffy only sees the ball after it's past the striker. And again, it's why Long doesn't react because the ball's going straight um, towards Duffy because he's only got that really, really short reaction time as the ball's gone past Roisin. But yeah, I mean, it's not as you say, it's not like the best block attempt, but there's not a lot that he could have done. We'll obviously come on to the third goal, which is a massive individual error. But um, yeah, Duffy's positioning here just wasn't good enough.
2: Yeah, that's fair enough. The main issue for me is for Short should have never given the ball away in the first place. I think it should have sprung the counter to Rowe and then we're potentially talking about a second goal rather than an equaliser. Even watching it back, I think it was a pretty shocking first half from Forshaw, and he ended up being rightly subbed at halftime. We haven't really seen a huge amount of him play beyond substitute appearances, so I knew he provided good technical ability, and he looked like he could uh, do something in build-up. But here, I thought it really sort of exposed his lack of like physicality and athleticism. He was quite often losing duels against Sunderland players and sort of struggling to cover the necessary ground, which you'd expect from a midfielder in, in his role. He was playing as a more sort of advanced box-to-box player in this system rather than the deep-lying midfielder, which I thought was a problem. I don't know, it's a performance for me that I found quite disappointing because I was hoping that he could provide some into our midfield. And now you're in a situation where I don't think we're going to see him play in the next few games because of how of quite how bad his performance was.
1: They're all pretty similar. Sarah, Forshaw McLean. They're all pretty good at retaining the ball. They're all pretty good at dropping a shoulder and finding a pass. They're they're all pretty confident in build-up in terms of playing that the pass that matters. I just think that Foreshaw wasn't able to be himself because everyone was being foreshore. And so it's that's the dynamic of our midfield was you had three players in there that couldn't just say, okay, well, you sit, I'll play inside, I'll pick up Bellingham, I'll pick up Neil, you get closer to Equa Defensively, I, I just feel like they were so confused and moving in different spaces and switching. And fluidity is great, but off the ball, that creates so much uh, anxiety for a back four. And I think Forshaw just got wrapped up in it, in in the confusion. I don't think he's a bad player. I just think that I think that the way that we went out there and the personnel we played in our midfield um, didn't work.
2: So there was another moment in the 40th minute where our midfield again looked to be sort of lacking in that sort of transition moment there where, for sure, he goes down and he's arguing with the ref rather than getting back up. Sarah gives it away with a pass back towards his own goal quite inexplicably because he wasn't under a huge amount of pressure. We end up uh, with Sullen picking up possession on the edge of our box with just the defender's goal side. It ends up not causing a huge problem because Fisher actually makes a pretty good piece of 1v1 defending against Clark and he gets back and blocks it out for a corner. But yeah, it's just another example of how the midfield didn't really offer adequate protection for the back four in this first half. I don't think for Sarah it was one of his better games either. I thought he was um, a bit all over the place as well. None of them really looked like they knew the role they were going to be playing. It's almost as if they put three midfielders out there and just told them to play in the middle. And like one of them would go and sit, but it, would just be a, it could be any one of them. And then the other two would sort of run around higher up I think when you play the same system for, what, 10 plus games in a row, I don't know how many games we've played this season, and then you switch to this 4-5-1, we had a couple of days in Spittlesbury, it just looked like the system wasn't really that ingrained in the players, and particularly the midfielders didn't really know their roles that well.
0: Well, they certainly didn't look like they knew their roles for Sunderland's second goal. I don't know what you thought Norwich could have done to protect the uh, the back four better in that situation.
2: Firstly, it's Clark pretty easily goes past Fastenact and Forshaw. They were a problem defensively on the right side throughout the first half. They didn't really offer much protection for that pass into the half space to Bellingham, which happened a few times. And they weren't really offering Fisher much protection in his duel against Clark. I thought it was quite unfair on him that uh, a young player maker's debut got offered very little protection from the players in front of him. And yeah, I was quite disappointed with that.
0: First, yeah, that was, that was, sorry, that was my instinct that um, I've I only saw the first half once, but it looked like Roe was helping Ulysses a lot more than Fashnak was helping Fisher. But I don't know whether I'm a bit, I, I sort of misunderstood that. I think they, they definitely wanted to keep Fashnak
1: closer to Fisher than, um, I think Rowe was doing a lot more running. The problem on the goal was that they, the lines got too tight and they got too close to him and Clark just one step, two step and a brilliant pass. That like, really, really... Really good pass to to play in Neil, but um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think Fashnak covered himself in glory on a defensive standpoint. I think he's probably one of these types of players that's better going forwards. But then the choices in a four-five-one system that he'd have to make personnel-wise was Hernandez, Placheta, or Fashnak. Unless you play two fullbacks on the same side, which he could have done.
2: I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about Placheta being quite a limited player, but then I feel like. If you're playing a low block counter system, then that's maybe one of the scenarios in which you would probably want him. He hasn't been mentioned much recently because he hasn't made a huge amount of appearances in the last three or four games. But yeah, maybe he'd been a better choice. I think Fastnack's and Forshaw's lack of physicality or athleticism in the duels against Clark was exposed here. He sort of walked through them pretty easily. And obviously Clark's one of the best 1v1 dribblers in the league, so he'll do that to better players. But it it was just too easy. McLean was quite slow to come out and close him down, but he is drawn out of position. Gibson's sort of ball-watching, and he's drawn over towards the ball as well, so it leaves that massive gap between him and Uriess. Maybe Uriess could come across and close. You, you want to maintain that sort of reasonable space between centre-back and fullback. but Neil, just he runs into the space there as the number eight, that run from midfield, and Sarah has switched off and hasn't tracked him. Being the closest midfielder, you'd say it probably should have been his job. Yeah, it's a good pass from Clark Fruton and, yeah, Long. I don't think there's much he can do with it. He's, he gets out, but he sort of dives low and sells himself. So, Neil has a fairly easy dink over him for 2-1. The
1: the duels rate in that first half, Norwich, 36% win rate in the duel. So, that tells you two things. Either you're right and Fashnacht then for sure, and these players, they, they just don't have the athleticism to get up and win those types of battles. Or we're dropping off and dropping off and... and not competing in duels because we're not competing in ones that we can win. So we end up going into ones we can't win when the ball's in difficult areas. And I think that's probably more of the confusion again. It's like, well, which duels do you want to compete for? When are we going to compete for them? What parts of the field are we going to do that? And clearly the the idea with Roberts and Clark was, okay, don't compete with them in the duel because if they beat us, they can get at Gibson and Duffy and get into that half space. That's the last thing Norwich wanted. So it was like, stand off, stand off, stand off. And then look what happens. (laughs) Two two goals come from similar situations where we stood off too much. Or we got too too close so that we couldn't create a duel because we're now too tight and he can work his way zigzag through us versus when he receives the ball, set a press, force him one way, make life difficult. We kind of got caught in between. And again, I think it's the, the midfield five. I think the midfield five was a big, big problem.
2: We'll probably talk about our general view on the club later, but I think it has been a problem in recruitment, that we don't recruit the sort of required level of athleticism and physicality. In key areas, particularly midfield, you want midfielders that can sort of get up and down and compete in duels and win the ball and like shield the back four. And I don't think we really have that profile of player in the squad, the midfielder, who can uh, win those duels in front of the back four and shield them. It's, I mean, it's been a common theme, hasn't it? The level of physicality recruiting. And I feel like In terms of, like, raising the floor of the squad, having players who can compete in duels in the middle of the park is, like, one of the first things you can
0: do. Yeah. So, moving in the second half, um, there was one substitution. Uh, Nunes came on for foreshore. Uh, Did that change the dynamic at all or the formation, James?
2: Not particularly. Uh, At least out of possession, he was still playing as that sort of right-sided central midfielder. And, yeah. I think on the ball he was willing to take more risks than uh for and he was uh getting more out of it as well because of his feel for the ball Nunes can be someone who can sort of dribble to avoid pressure he sometimes is uh prone to giving it away in dangerous areas because he does take risks on the ball but he does have that sort of that level of technical ability and tenacity to dribble out of pressure as well which he did quite a few times in the sort of early minutes of his substitute appearance there and yeah i thought he did pretty well actually coming off the bench
1: yeah they did try and play him a little bit closer to huang and eventually Ida to try to I mean, the system started to look when we were chasing it a little bit back to the four four two that we've come accustomed to under wagner coming back to james's point i think for sure just we we, we couldn't afford to keep him out there it would, have, it would have been definitely the wrong decision to keep him there so it's okay. Get Nunez on. What's Nunez going to do? He's going to play a little bit higher. Then then we're back into the situation where Gabriel Sara can't really affect the game in the areas where you want him to affect it because he's pinned back. I, we we just haven't got that balance right. No matter who's played in that system.
2: Yeah. So at this period, just after half time, I've really felt we struggled to get out. I think Huang he wasn't uh, quite winning as much higher up the pitch as he was earlier. Yeah, we were struggling to get off the pitch and just penned in quite a lot. I think there was one chance towards the end, uh, which at uh, this period, which is Fastenac's header against the post, where it, we went long towards Rowe this time, and it was headed back, and you knew this actually does really well to get up and win the second ball, and he uh, he drives with the ball and eventually ends up back out of him on the left hand side after a couple of passes, and he puts in a really nice cross, which Fastenac gets to at the far post and uh, heads it against the post, but uh, I think the keeper probably had it covered, even if he gets on target. Yeah, so. Our one chance from this period came from winning second balls high the pitch, which is something we were struggling to do for most of it because Wang was just too isolated.
0: Yeah, it was actually a really good cross from Um We didn't really see his quality on the ball uh, that we have done in previous games. But um, yeah, it's such a nice cross to the, the the back post. I'd still say it's a pretty difficult header for Fashion Act just because he's coming onto it. He has to stretch a little bit. It's from a tighter angle. So actually he does pretty well to even get that uh, towards the the near post. Cool. So moving into the final period, the 60 to 90 minutes, I guess the first uh, significant action was uh, Wagner making that double sub to probably the detriment of the team because Hernandez uh, came on for Fashion Act. Borja Sands came on for Rowe. I mean the detriment to the team because obviously Rose our top scorer and um, bringing a player off when you are 2-1 down in an away game did feel quite negative. I thought at this point, or this is like a general point about Wagner, but he does really value energy and stamina over technical quality because I think most coaches want to keep row on in that period. But what Wagner's thinking is that he just wants something more on the counter because Rose had to do so much tracking and so much defending off the ball. He's a little bit fatigued. And I think that was probably part of um, Wagner's decision-making, but it does seem pretty bizarre that um, you would take off your key creative talent.
2: Yeah, and he, he hadn't, obviously hadn't scored or assisted in this game. But I did, I did like a lot of his work in uh, trying to be an outlet for us, especially in the first half. He chased down lost causes. He tried to dribble and get us up the pitch for his carrying. There are a few moments where he got us into the final third and I think there was a, uh, a shot from Fastnet over the bar in the first half. So his carries were actually leading to like genuine attempts on goal. So I was really surprised to see him come off because I thought with us chasing the game, we'd need someone who could maybe create something out of nothing because we haven't really looked like creating anything as a team throughout the game. And I personally I felt like when he came off, our chances of actually getting back to the game were just like massively reduced.
1: And Unless Borgia Saints comes on and does something spectacular and special that we haven't seen yet. And maybe they have seen that in practice. And, and maybe yeah, John Rowe has done a lot of sprints in the game and he is tiring for sure, but he still has the magic and, and I'm sure at his age, he can pull out a 90 minutes, I'm sure of it. So, but uh, it's then a case of, well, where, where do you fit Sainz in? If you need to get Sainz up to speed, I think he wants to play him off the left. He's not going to start over Jonathan Rowe. So then where do you put him in? And so for me, it's like, will put him on the right or switch Rowe to the right and try and get two players out there that can cr- create stuff and make things happen. Yeah, and that never really seemed, that never really seemed to happen. It always, it always seems to be like for like substitutions. I think Wagner has done that a lot through his time. It's instead of trying to incorporate players, he's done it in a weird way in midfield here with this game. Yet, in an attacking sense, he's not trying to keep his best players out there always. And yeah, that's massively frustrating because you're right. You take Jonathan Rowe off, he is your creative spark. His record this season is unreal. And you're bringing him off to bring on a player who, who needs bedding in, who needs time. And that just feels like giving up. That's painful for, for Norwich fans to take. But he played Hernandez on the right when he came on. So maybe, maybe that was also part of the, well, Borgia needs to play on the left. That's what we sign in for. That's what he's going to do. It's, it's kind of like John Rose, this extra special surprise that we've had this season where Borgia was probably supposed to play that role pre- predominantly. And now he's playing second fiddle and we can't, we can't get him in the team.
0: Yeah. And moving into um, the first attack of that period, um, it was actually a counter-attack initiated by Kellen Fisher. Um, It was another really good piece of play for him. He intercepts a pass that's going to Clark. um, He feeds Hernandez. And then Hernandez, because he's come on, he's got a lot of speed and a lot of directness, um, charges into, into the opposition half, plays it back to Fisher. And we talked about how, for the goal, Fisher was just so intelligent in terms of cutting the ball back. And he does the same thing here. He doesn't try and, like, fizz a ball across the box. And too many Norwich players in optimal areas, like I don't think Hawang is in a particularly good spot um, in this attack. So what Fisher does is he plays it through a Sunderland player onto Sarah on the edge of the box. And what Sarah does is that because it's on his right foot, he has to come around the ball, which means because he pauses like that, that allows a Sunderland player to come in and nick it off him. But I just thought I'd wanted to play that again because even though we end up losing the game, Fisher um, for me, should, should keep his spot because that type of game intelligence you don't always get at that age and yeah, his his final ball was really good. Compare that to another counter-attack, which actually happened in the 69th minute, where it's Hernandez that gets down the right in the wide space. And what does Hernandez do? Instead of picking out Nunes on the edge of the box, he cuts in, he cuts back out, and then he tries to shot from a stupid angle where there's three Sunderland players blocking the ball and Fisher basically did the complete opposite to that and um, it nearly resulted, or it should have resulted in a shot from the edge of the box, but... Just an example of how Fisher has that game intelligence, but Hernandez really, really struggles with it.
2: Yeah, and also you compare it to like Stacey against Middlesbrough, and he was really struggling to find people when he got into the final third. I agree with you that he should keep his place, but unfortunately, I think it's, it's very much an English football thing where fans, coaches, etc., like to focus on like the negative aspects of particularly young players. So I feel like a lot will be made of Clark having such a good game up against them unfortunately so even though Fisher actually put in a fairly decent performance and looked good from an attacking point of view I do feel like Stacey will probably come back in next week
1: I was going to say I think you've got a situation with Stacey and Duffy and Gibson and probably for sure depending on who's coming through it's almost like we've got I don't know how many games we are into the season 15 we've got so far into the season and it's like we need a rebuild <laughs> it's and he's like, well, hang on a minute. Well, we've got Keelan Fisher. He can come in. So all right, we've just signed Jack Stacey, but he's already, we already kind of need to replace him. And then we've got two lads. We've got Warner in-house. We've got uh, John Tompkinson, who's USA, under-21 international, and, and he's highly thought of in the USA. Uh, and then we've got Brad Hills, who's pulling up trees uh, on loan right now. So it's kind of like, well, we can't block the pathway of these players like Keelan Fisher. Wouldn't it be horrendous for that to be Keelan Fisher's last game for the next 10, which is possible, right? We're out of the cup. Stacey's going to come back in, especially when we start going overlap again and attacking play. And now Fisher's out for 10 more games and you can't send him out on loan because you need a backup. And you're kind of back to this square one. So it almost feels like we need a a rebuild, a mid-season rebuild, but we've got the players, but then it's kind of like, well, if you're going to throw the kids in there and that's your rebuild, then accept the fact that you're going to be lower mid-table and you're just wasting Sarah's potential. Uh, so he'll probably end up having to go. Jonathan Rowe, there's no doubt he's going to get offers with, with his ability. So he's probably going to have to go. And then you're kind of taking another step backwards. So it kind of comes all the way back to the Stuart Webber recruitment of who have you signed? Whose pathway have you blocked by signing them? But like Duffy's on a three-year deal. I can't believe this. It's like you've got, you've got three centre-backs, young centre-backs who are highly thought of. You need to get in this team at some point. You've got Hanley coming back. I, I think our squad is a mess. It's a big mess. And Stuart Weber has a has an awful lot uh, to answer for once he finally leaves. Uh, I hope he comes back and explains what he was trying to do.
0: Yeah, all valid points. Moving, moving back to this game, though, in terms of the, the next kind of phase. Uh, well, there's a double substitution in the 74th minute, uh, which does slightly change the shape. So Ida comes on for Gibson and uh, Stacey comes on for Fisher. Again, a bit disappointing, but... Fisher came off, but uh, there's a bit more of an aggressive press at this point because Hwang and Ida are like a little bit further forward. And I don't think it looked too bad, that dynamic. And again, maybe Wagner should have started with that. I think because of what was happening behind Hwang and Ida in terms of the um, the midfield four, then because it would definitely change from a 4 5 1 into a 4 4 2 pressing shape. But actually, I think that midfield was such a mess. It was uh, Nunes and Sarah in central midfield. Uh, Signs on the left and Hernandez on the right, and I just think it looks so dysfunctional. Like there were spaces everywhere, but at this point, Norwich are basically trying to find a goal. So Wagner's made like a couple of not very cohesive substitutions, players slightly playing out of position, like McLean going to centre back and having that two of Nunes and Sarah there's just going to be no no sort of protection for the defence. So, But that does bring us on to the goal in the 78th minute. Um, not too much from a tactical point of view at this this stage, because it's such a horrendous error from Duffy. I don't think there's really much we can comment on. He just like loses, loses his head, basically. He tries to beat uh, Clark in a 1v1. Um, really poor piece of dribbling, because Clark just is able to retain the ball as well. And Yeah, I don't think McLean is great here, but he's trying to do two things. He's trying to block the pass into, um, I think it's Sameda who's come on for Sunderland. And then he's also trying to tackle uh, Clark. Um, His body position is pretty bad because he's kind of crouched with his arms by his knees, which looks horrendous. And I don't know where he's picked that up from. But yeah, a little bit of sympathy considering the difficulty of the position. But as soon as Clark cuts back onto his left foot, then um, McLean makes the foul, but yeah, after that point, it did continue to look pretty dysfunctional for Norwich. Um, the midfield line had really pushed up as well, as I mentioned before. The midfield four were a lot more attacking, which meant that the defence sat back. So you had this really big space in front of Norwich's defence with with no protection. So there are a few occasions where some of them were able to penetrate that area. Um, there was even like around the eighty third minute, uh, like a five v three. Um, which was the uh, the save from Long from um, Alex Pritchard's shot, but yeah, it looked horrendous. There was like players out of position. Sarah, they got attracted to the left, and he hadn't moved back into the centre of midfield to screen the defence. It, it just looked so bad. And after that goal, it just Norwich did sort of lose all all composure. And yeah, there are there are a lot of performances and displays where um, I don't want to say they would given up, but I do think they just look so despondent. I mean. We've talked up Unulius on this pod quite a lot, and I think he's had an amazing season, one of his best periods in an Norwich shirt. But there are a couple of tackle attempts here. and There was even an elbow to a face of Roberts, which looked really bad and possibly could have ended in a, in a red card. In terms of how he was in possession, in terms of how he was off the ball, this last 30-minute period, he really, really struggled. And it was just a real shame that to see someone that's done so well this season look so poor and completely out of character. But... Maybe that's uh, an example of what uh, Wagner has done to um, individuals over this this really poor eight or nine game period.
1: I certainly think so, <laughs> and I think you, you've put McLean in at centre back, and uh, Jack Clark takes the foul really, really well. It leaves his leg in. McLean can't do much about it. But the fact you've you bought on either, but you've essentially you've swapped McLean for Gibson, so that you've got a McLean long diag with his left foot still in the game just stinks of desperation. These are the telltale signs that it's gone wrong and uh it's gonna be really, really difficult for Wagner to put this right. You can see what he's trying to do with this lineup and this team and the decisions he's made. I don't I don't think he's a million miles away from you know he's, he's thinking of the best interests of the game. But it's such a mess. Such a mess and I, I it's almost like the way fans are, when fans are constantly going, Barnes, Sergeant, you kind, of, kind of harping on. And it's it's almost like well, that's right at the front of Wagner's Brett, and he can't really get past it as well. And he's like, Well, oh, we've got to do this and we've got to do that. And oh, but if they were playing, we'd be fine. But we don't have them, so we have to do this and we have to do that, versus just trying to create some structure around everyone else and then just let Ida and Huang have some fun up there. Yeah, it's 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 a mess. You, that's that's the telltale signs that a manager's gonna go.
0: Yeah, the, the desperation from Wagner, I think, is pretty pretty endemic at, um, within the squad at this point. But uh, yeah, I guess overall, we've kind of moved into the the summary bit of the podcast. I don't know, James, if there was anything tactically or individually you wanted to flag um, from Norwich's performance against Sunderland on, on Saturday.
2: Yeah, well, looking back, I was shocked by like how quite how bad a lot of individuals were, especially in the last 30 minutes. And yeah, you just think about how much better these players could look if they're all at their best. It's often said that um, in football, talent is always there, but you need like the right situation to bring it out. And I feel like a lot of people will be surprised by how good some of these players can look when we do get some sort of structure back to the team. Because I was really quite shocked by like how second best we were to Sunderland basically the entire game you can see what michael was trying to do by sitting deep he was thinking about getting a result at all costs and he was concerned that we would concede more sort of sloppy transition goals like Leeds and Middlesbrough but I think what he did ends up limiting anything that could potentially be good about Norwich because we have some wonderful attacking players who barely got into the game in the areas where they could actually affect the game from an attacking point of view so I was not impressed by how we set up for that reason like we uh We didn't really use what we had to, like, the the best of our abilities. In terms of picking out individuals, I I would like to mention Fisher again, because I think he's probably going to have people saying that uh, he really struggled and maybe isn't ready because of how how good Clark was and all those those Rondi ones. But I think he did the best he could, given how exposed he was. And I think he really did show some great moments going forward and on the ball.
0: So, yeah, I'd like to see more of him. Yeah, I was just going to come in and say, obviously it was um, it was a bad performance and I think Wagner got more wrong than right on Saturday. But when Norwich have lost games, there's always something identifiable about Wagner's uh, like coaching principles, which I think is quite interesting in the sense that I do think his time is up and I do think he will be sacked um, at some point, whether it's now, whether it's in November. But there are still like, well-coached movements building out from the back. I think Actually, what Norwich have done well in these defeats is that when they have built up from the goalkeeper, like into Duffy and, and Gibson and into the midfield too, more often than not, they've been quite successful. That is work that's been done on the training ground that has proved fruitful. The problem is, is that when they get to the next stage, there doesn't seem to be like any passing patterns further up the pitch. So it's that middle third where actually, and especially in this game, The passing just seemed to be a bit risk-averse and slow and lateral, and also like valueless as well. There were a couple of times where it got moved into McLean, and sometimes even into Sarah, and they, they just needed one more pass, and they wouldn't be able to play a player in further up the pitch, whether that was Wang or Hernandez. There's small moments where you think, okay, this is going to click, this is going to work. So, in possession, I think, obviously, Wagner's time is coming to an end. I don't think Norwich are too bad, but the way they're exposed, time and time again, through the centre of the pitch and through the wide areas, is bizarre, really. And maybe we can talk about um, the fact that there isn't that specialist defensive midfielder in there. The fact is that over his time here, Wagner has just never been able to have that really solid, rigid structure, which has prevented teams from creating loads and loads of chances. And just to finish with a stat and just show you how like bad it's been over the past eight games, they conceded over one xg. Um, in each of those matches. And um, overall, it's about 1.9 per game that they've um, they've conceded in terms of XG. So that's almost two goals uh, worth of chances. It's just completely unsustainable and a massive failure. So I think his time is up, but it's weird to see a team lose like this where you can see parts of the plan which have been well coached and then others where it just looks drastically amateur.
1: Yeah, and I think if you go back to the successful seasons at Norwich have had, whether that's under Worthington, where they did do a lot of <clears throat> chip it up to Roberts or chip it up to Svensson. And then under Farker, uh, you, you you have a distinct style of play. And like you said, there there is a distinct style. Wagner's imprint is on this, but you couldn't say, well, this is our best 11 or this is the 11 that needs to be out there all the time because we don't know enough about Saints. We're still debating over fullbacks. Janoulis is kind of eat the head of McCallum. Fisher, we don't know if he's better or not. Faschnack, we don't know if he's supposed to be in the team or not. sure, yes, maybe, but where does he play? McLean's been good, he's been captain, but should he really be starting? There's so many things that are just not sinking under Wagner's stewardship. And what this team needs now is, is that refresh. And that refresh um, could come at the cost of a few of these players getting game time and playing out there. Um, So it's probably tough on those players because I'm sure they can sense it as well. The anxiety has got to be with them. Um, And I think with Norwich fans, we're looking at is it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And the only way it gets better is with someone else at the helm. So it's now a case of just kind of seeing out this time. And even if we win a game, it's still not going to be enough to feel like there's that consistent Wagner, this can't be beaten football um, and this is our 11 and this is the way we go after games. There's not enough of that. And going back to the the, the Pellet interview where he said, you know, his job is to look at the opposition and come up with plans to play against the opposition. So clearly he's looked at this game and I mean, it's not that hard to figure out that Roberts and Clark are good players and we need to get on them and we can't give them the half space, etc. But then you're taken away from your own game and then you can't put the Wagner stamp on it. And that's what essentially they tried to do, right, with the three-centred infielders. You can't put the Wagner stamp on it if you're also trying to completely change things to nullify an opposition. We're just caught in between limbo right now. And maybe a few results could pull it back round for Wagner. Maybe. But it's, it, it doesn't seem possible to me. I don't know what you guys think.
2: Yeah, I think I agree with you there. That, um, even if we were to go and win against Blackburn next week, I don't think that's going to do much. The only scenario in which people... Will then say that Wagner is the man long term, as if we go out and play teams off the park for like weeks and weeks. But you just can't really see where that's coming from because, like, although we start the season well, we've had weeks of performances which have lacked in too many areas and performances which have shown promise in certain areas, but like not enough for you to go, well, he's the man long term because you can see what he's building. I don't think the result next week is going to really change that long term. The new Sporting Director is going to want to bring in his own man. And when he does his rebuild, he's going to want a complete fresh start. I do I do agree that it is going to get worse before it gets better because people are going to be angry about the way we've played and the results recently next week. There's not really much Wagner himself can do about that. That's on the people higher than him. If they aren't going to make the decision, then uh, fans are going to voice their frustration at Wagner, who probably doesn't deserve it because he's just trying to do his job. But at the same time, no one can really get behind him at this point
0: because we just haven't seen enough to say that he's the man long term. Cool. Well, on that note, Nick, James, thanks very much. And thank you for listening to and supporting the Norwich City Tactics Podcast. Please subscribe to whichever platform you're listening to us on.